0: To see you all, many guests, many families uniting for this occasion. We uh, are just very glad to see you. I want us to turn today to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In a moment I will read it, but first let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus with thanksgiving. That more than 2,000 years ago, you sent your son into this vile earth, this sinful earth, this dark place, darker every day it seems, especially in our country. You sent him to call us out of darkness and out of the service of Satan into your glorious light. He died for us, and then, as he promised three days later, he rose again to confirm that we are justified by faith, by your grace. We thank you for that, that our sins have been paid for. They're totally removed from us. We thank you for that atoning blood. We pray your blessing upon everyone here, everyone who wants to be here, to worship your name, who are unable to be here. Now we pray that the Spirit of God would do what I cannot do, and that is take your word, and as it applies to each and every person, send it like a spear into every heart, bringing forth the results that are pleasing to you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. There are things that happen to us all the time that that really focus us at a given moment. And uh, we had one of those Friday night. One of our members, if you don't know them, uh, Russ and Mary Johnson, uh, Mary's the sister of Marshall Schaefer. Uh, they were out and suddenly Russ hit the deck and uh, to use the medical terminology, before they could get life light, there, he coded twice, which means that he was gone. And uh, they got all the appropriate people on him trying to give him CPR, and it had to happen twice, as I said. And then uh, what was going to happen? And just as we were concluding services, I saw the Schaefer's. Somewhere in there, accident. I didn't know what was going on, didn't think much of it. And so uh, we had a kind of replay of the death and resurrection. Uh, Russ was up there at OHSU, uh, where he still is, and uh, he was sedated. and Nobody knew what the result was going to be uh, till yesterday afternoon, and then uh, he came back, and Brent said it was very much like a death and resurrection, so we're all very happy, but he's got a long way to go. They don't know how much damage that long term of CPR into occasions. Might have done now. That remains to be seen, but he was, technical purposes, he was dead. Now, yesterday afternoon, he lives, and let's continue to pray for that family and for their good health. But Brent told me this morning the same thing has happened to me. I said, "This is, this really focuses you, the death and the resurrection." So pray for the whole family. Pray for a good outcome because. The story is yet to be told what the result is, but we all can relate to it. It reminds me, and I hope reminds you, Sunday is what I might call the pause that refreshes. How do we survive Monday? I'm using Monday as a metaphor, as I always do in these situations. It reminds me of this question. As you get older, it'll remind you, not the rest of you are older, but I am. <laughs> and it reminds me of the rough and tumble of life in a world which takes no prisoners, as, of course, Friday night was for us. What does Sunday, used as a metaphor, the day of the resurrection, have to say to Monday. That is so compelling and impelling that we Christians get up each morning to go through it again. What message does Christ have on Sunday that allows us believers to suffer? Yes, with a smile. Yes, with a smile. Some of the poverty, some of the pain, some of the privation and some of the persecution on Monday. Used to be in America. That was a word. We really didn't relate to it. We live in a crazy bubble in this country. That bubble's bursting. The other day, State University of New York, there was a raucous uproar of these radical students. And right there in front of God and everybody, they ripped up a Bible. It's coming to a school, to a house, to a place, to a mall near you. What does Sunday have to say to Monday? Monday. A major theme, I didn't say the major theme, a major theme of the scriptures is this. Life is hard in the sinful world. It's sometimes brutal for the people of God. Over here, what we're going through is child's play. As we speak, you can believe blood of believers is being shed on this earth. People are not just being killed, they're being slaughtered like sheep. Thousands every week. Yeah. Don't live under a rock. This passage illustrates what I'm about to read from 1 Corinthians 15 just part of it. It illustrates once again our ability to cope victoriously with our present difficulties. I uh, have an illustration I've used in the past, which uh, helps me relate to it. Back in my college days, you wouldn't believe it now. But uh, I was on the football team of West Virginia Tech. That's not Virginia Tech. You know, it was a much smaller leg and a lot dopier players, kind of like me. But anyway, we would have, like most college teams, our two-a-days, and we'd go off to a place called Camp Brookside. Sounds better than it was. It was hot. It was steamy. It was sweaty. Bugs going every which way. And in those days, the way they trained was light years of difference. Now they wouldn't think of letting you not drink water. Well, it was just part of the toughness routine. We never got a sip of water. No, no, no. I would have paid $500 just like that for one good sip of water on some of those days. Anyway, how do we get through it? That pain, that thirstiness, that dryness, And the soreness, oh gosh, you'd come in at noon, you'd get to eat, and then you'd go right back and start it all over again. (laughs) Coach, Get off of it. How did you get through it? I know how I got through it. You know, I was still a kid. The lights, the band, the cheerleaders, the crowd, and all of that, that was the glory (laughs) to which... I look forward. We get to participate in that beyond the field. Oh man, it's great. Sometimes <laughs> we get we get to play football for real. That was the way I got through it. I just went through all the sweat, the blood, and the tears. And anytime I'm around, there's blood, all that kind of thing. And uh the Saturday games. Sometimes, yeah, Friday night. Well, that's just a symbol of the way we get through the Christian life here on earth, this sinful world. Well, let me read this passage, verse 35 through 34, what Sunday says to Monday. There's a skeptical question raised, and that's what we want to focus on because many people wonder, they do wonder, questions often asked, about the resurrection. What... What's the deal? What kind of body? Well, some will say, verse 35, this is skeptical. How are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Then Paul answers, you fool. That which you sow does not come to life unless it dies. It doesn't. And that which you sow, you do not sow the body, which is to be, but a bare grain, perhaps of wheat or something like that. But God gives it a body just as he wished. And to each of the seeds, a body of its own. We'll go to verse 41 before we stop. All flesh, people's not the same flesh. There's one flesh of men, there's another flesh of beasts, another flesh of birds, and another of fish. And there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies. And the glory of the heavenly is one and the glory of the earthly is another. There's one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars. For stars differ from one another in glory. Well, the objection is this, let me reframe it. The question appears to be this. Isn't it preposterous? This question's not going away. Isn't it preposterous to believe that dead bodies reduced to dust will come back to life? I mean, come on now, man. What good would it do for those material bodies to be resurrected since the ones we already have are subject to decay and dead all over again? That doesn't make sense. So what kind of body are we talking about, Apostle Paul? And these skeptical objections were aimed to reduce to absurdity the idea. Well, here comes the rebuttal in verses 36 through 41. Paul's answers are as follows. Why should the hope of a physical resurrection evoke skepticism? actually dummies, we see it regularly and we do. Problem is, it's just so familiar that the wonder of it gets past us, like the conception and birth of a baby. As is so often the case, we find in the natural world, it's amazing how often we do, a phenomenon which is analogous to supernatural reality. Take, for example, Paul says, the world of agriculture and planting and sowing of Wheat and some other grain. Isn't it par for the course to produce living grain from a dead sea? I can remember. I wasn't a farm boy. But we, we, my dad had been, and we raised a big garden. And my dad and I got the burden of it. Of course, the younger kids. So I was out there sweating. And my biggest assignment was usually the potato patch, which was probably as big as this whole middle section, which is not enormous. But if you're the one doing it, it seemed that way. So I'd go out there, I wanted to be doing other things. We'd plow the rows, we'd cut up potatoes and usually little quarters, about that big. Go along, drop them and then we'd bring the dirt back over them. And what was going to happen to those potatoes? Corruption. Corruption. But at the end, the joy, I remember it. Those things would flower and they would come up and they'd get as big as these flowers up here. It didn't look like these, but they're all green. And in the meantime, I'd have to go in and be a pastor. I'd have to go in and heal them up. Ever so often, both sides, heal up. Some of you, some of you know about that, don't you? Heal them up. Thank you, Dad. I could be out playing. Heal up. And then at the end, Dad would say, they're ready to harvest. So we'd go up and then we'd unheal them. And down there were all of these nice potatoes, some of them big, just potatoes after potatoes after potatoes. resurrected. Same way with the corn and other things. We'd go along with the corn. A little bit of corn here, a little bit of corn here, a little bit of corn there, little corn grains, all dry and hard. Of course, we'd water over that stuff. And then in time would come some rains and then we'd begin to see the corn sprout and get real tall. And then there were ears of corn all over it, a resurrection. Paul says, what's wrong with you people? You think the resurrection is something unusual it's so regular dummies you let it get right past you there has to be corruption before there could be new life so it was with christ dying so don't be so shocked about all that the seed has to go through a process of corruption and we do any of you feel like you're experiencing corruption well i'm not hearing any affirmation you're just sitting there looking at me like what Well, let me tell you, I feel like I'm experiencing some corruption. As for what kind of body our dust seed might produce, Paul says it should then come as no surprise that just like the germination of crops, what comes up from the grave at the end, at the resurrection, it will be, it will be a material body, a physical body. Mm, There it is. But of a different order than the one we laid to rest. Now that's comforting. I sure hope I don't get back what I got. (laughs) I'm ready to turn it in. (laughs) New model. We're going to get a new model. It's going to be identical physical body, but it's going to be different. Again, Paul says, why should the idea of a different body astound you? You know, you're talking fantasy. Nature, once again, he says, is full of diversity in this respect. We're just so used to nature, we don't think about it. He says, God creates and he adapts different bodies for different entities existing under differing circumstances. We see, for example, fish. We see several species species of various animals different species of flesh but all these bodies exhibit differences man beasts birds and flesh they're all physical but they're all different all adapted by creation to the conditions and purposes of their maker so then the apostle is saying it's no big deal that god should raise the dead the physically dead any more than a farmer should raise a crop of grain from dead seed And there's nothing startling in the fact that the form of the resurrection body will be different. All the bodies of whatever kind God has created has a glory, a majesty, each perfect fitness all of its own. Uh, Online sometimes, one of the things I like to see All the species of animals. I see some birds. They're just absolutely glorious. Just glorious. You see flowers and things like that. Up close, by expert photographers. You say, wow. Wow. Well, God has created all of that diversity. Why should we marvel at it? All the bodies of whatever kind God has created created them in their perfect fitness, each in its own kind. There are material bodies, he says, that belong to the heavens and those that belong to the earth. There are also degrees of glory in the museum of God's handiwork, as well as kinds of glory. One glory may be inferior or superior to another, but each is adapted to its own purpose and conditions of existence. Our resurrection body Will differ in significant respects from our present body. Though our present body, dust though it may be, no matter how scattered, what about people who die? They're blown to bits. They're burned to dust. Scattered as far as it may be. Still, whatever it is, wherever it is, how fine it is, it will be the platform or the seed, as it were, from which the new body at the resurrection will take rise and be transformed. He who has willed, Leon Morris says, that we should have bodies fitted for our life on earth, has willed that we should have bodies fitted for our heavenly existence. So in verses 42 through 49, the resurrection body is contrasted. Let's read. So is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown a perishable body. Don't we know that? It is raised an imperishable body. It is sown in dishonor. It's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there will also, you better believe it, be a spiritual body. He doesn't mean a ghost. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, but the last man, Christ, became a life-giving spirit. What's that all about? Let's read. Let's talk. Our old body, the one we're now in, is perishable. The new body, when we're resurrected, will be imperishable. This present body, as we know too well, is subject to decay. You can be 60 years old, just running. You're just fine. You're down. This body has all of its own drives and appetites. It's a platform of moral corruption. The new body will be immune to disease, to decay, to death, and any connection with moral dissolution. Secondly, verse 43, the old body is sown in dishonor. Weakness is the Greek word. The new body will be raised in power. Nothing is going to shake it. The present body falls apart under the weight of various weakness. The one body will be raised not in power. The new one will be raised not only in power, but endowed with supernatural power. Most of you are not conscious of that. Some of you are. In the morning, I go to get out of bed. I'm on this side, Aussie's on that side. I put my elbow over to push myself out of bed. Now, I remember when I was a reasonably strong dude, but I put that elbow over there. Gee whiz, Andrews, you're having trouble getting out of bed. I pull my car up and I want to get out of the car in the garage. Uh get it under the wheel. Move it over here. Aussie, oh, I'll be a few minutes. <laughs> I'll be a few minutes. Flip this leg over, then oh, flip that one over, then get out. I say, I hope nobody's watching. This is sick. This is sick. Some of you are looking at me like, I can't believe that. You better believe it. It's coming. (laughs) This body is sown by God in weakness, asthenes, and is subject to disease, decay, death, and moral dissolution. Well, the old body, verses 44 through 49, partakes of the earthly. The new will partake of the heavenly. So what does that mean? Verses 44 through 45. The natural body is, here's a word you don't hear, know perhaps, is soulish. Soukion, it's a Greek word. Doesn't mean anything to most of you. I just told you for sheer flourish. That's the old body. It's soulish. It's animated by the soul. Everybody has a soul, though I've met some people who don't seem to. (laughs) You have too. That's the life principle. It's borrowed from God, our creator. But the new body is spiritual, pneumaticon. It's spiritual, not in the sense that it's an immaterial, a ghost or spook-like body. That's not what it means. What does it mean? It means that it's a body in the, the spiritual in the sense that it's animated and permeated by the Spirit of God, the very source of life. The first Adam was made by the Creator into a living soul, but the last Adam, Christ, who is in us, was made into a life-producing Spirit. Verse 46, in Christ, there is, however, a divinely appointed sequence of our participation in this. First, we know him in this soulish body. Then at the resurrection, we enter into a body, a spirit, Holy Spirit animated body, a pervaded body like his, like Christ. Verses 47 through 49. The first Adam and all those connected with him on earth. And our bodies, our earthly bodies. That's the way it is. But the second man is from heaven. That's Christ, not earth. And the implication is that his body and those of all who are in him, that's most of you in this room who have received him, we're material bodies of a heavenly order. Let me get that point across. When you are resurrected, If you have passed away before the Lord comes The body that will be caught up to be with Christ That's material You can touch it You can see it You remember when Jesus Christ was raised He wasn't immediately recognizable by first witnesses But he was You remember that They could touch him You will be a material body I will be able to see Austin She'll be able to see me and I hope she no longer wants to put hands on me, <laughs> you know that kind of thing. But we will be real, not ghost-like. That's an important thing to get across. But if you had a scar that went all the way down your forehead and your buck teeth were knocked out, you won't show up with that in that condition. It'll be a perfected body. It'll be a spiritual body, in the sense. That it's a life-giving spirit and you participate in that. So in verses 51 through 53, let me read that, 50 actually. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet of God will sound and the dead in Christ will be raised imperishable and we shall all be changed. This perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. Well, he is saying, That word mystery in New Testament nomenclature refers to something once hidden in the mind of God but now revealed to his apostles and prophets. In today's terms, a mystery is a divine secret that the Spirit of God is declassified and the apostle is disclosing with his permission, God's permission. So this section anticipates the natural question. If flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, that the physical kingdom of God in its material form, uh, what about those who happen to be maybe us, maybe not, who are still alive and remain in their natural bodies, their soulish bodies, these bodies right here, when Christ returns? No problem, Paul says. When Christ returns, God's plan of the dead in Christ is transformation, transformation in the living Christ. Trumpets were sounded for war, for festivals, and for victory celebrations. This last trumpet is in the sense that it signals the climax of God's purpose on earth. I can kind of visualize that day in a sort of way. There'll be a blast. There'll be a blast that'll take the roof off this universe. It'll go from coast to coast and north to south. It will shatter the ears of everything. Time will be no more as we've known it. The kingdoms of this world be rolled in under the ash heap of what we call history. It's a new beginning. The kingdom of God. Ruled over by Christ, will appear. And suddenly, all of a sudden, out of every grave on earth of believers, of people who know God, they will be caught up. You say, Oh, what if there is no grave, Jim? Let's quit quibbling. You know what it means. Wherever it is, even if it's north to south, east to west, even if you took an airplane you went all over the west coast, God will bring that person up. They'll come up to meet Christ in the air. And what about those of us who are still in our same old, same old? We will be transformed. All of us will be one. And we'll return with Christ. Verses 54 through 57. The death grip is broken. There's a great ear, not E, great eruption of the kingdom of God into history. That signals the conquest of death. And everything that went with it. But when this perishable, verse 54, will have put on imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about what is written saying death is swallowed up in victory. We began with death. Adam, Eve, our first parents, they revolted against God. They brought death and all of its companions with them, disease, pain destruction the stuff that we see going on all around us somebody was talking to me yesterday and said you know I you think when you're growing up and you see all this stuff that is going on in our world it's been going on forever if you're any student of history you know it you think well I remember I was there I remember the second world war you didn't know I was that old do you The Second World War, I remember when it ended. I remember the bells ringing, the whistles blowing, the horns honking. I remember that was the war to what? End all wars. And then there came along a burp called the Korean War. Well, it wasn't a burp. A lot of people died. Then we had the Vietnam uh, Vietnam War. And then so many wars in between and slaughters. And you think, are we ever going to get to the end of this and this stuff will stop and we'll have peace on earth and goodwill to men? Are we ever going to have that? Hey, wake up, we're not. Not this side of a great transformation when the last trumpet blows and Christ breaks into history. And all that is old will be no more. At the moment, the grip of death in any form or degree will be broken. The triumph of Christ will be complete in the life of his people. I look forward to that. Death will be no more. As Revelation says, there will be no more suffering, no more crying, no more weakness, no more disease, no more misery. Jesus will at last have cleaned up all the toxic spillover from the intrusion of sin into God's creation and its deadly impact. I look forward to that. Yesterday we were driving back from Newburgh where we had celebrated early Easter dinner with our granddaughter and uh, grandson-in-law and had a good time with the two little girls, two little great-grands. And they just ran and they played. I thought they'd never run out of energy. John was trying to keep up with them. I thought he'd die before it was all over with. He he did until he got home. But we were talking about what a good time and just the kids, how much you enjoy those little things. I know you do too. And their laughter and their fun. And uh have a picture up online of Emma... Uh, the uh, the oldest, and she was in her preschool. And there's a little picture you got to see it, just because it's my great-grand. You got to see it, and there she was in school, with a little llama or alpaco. Pa- now alpaco was there on the floor of the school, just bent over, and she had a little she had a little carrot in her mouth, and she was up to the alpaco, sticking her mouth up to the alpaco's mouth. And it was the cutest little thing ought to ought been on the front of National Geographic or something. <laughs> just my opinion. Anyway, anyway, with all that was in our mind. And Ossie said, "You, we just thought we'd get to the end of it. And I said, yeah. I said, Ossie, I'm kind of glad I won't be around to see him grow up. You ever had a thought like that? Yeah, I'm having those thoughts. I don't want to see what in this earthly hell they're going to go through. I don't know who's going to get hold of them and twist them and pervert them. I don't know. But boy, I don't want to see it. There comes a time when you are glad you're going to die. It seems almost like a gift. But death is just a symptom of sin like fever and aching are symptoms of the flu. Like rotting flesh is a symptom of leprosy. Like malignant growths are symptoms of cancer. The power of sin has held sway over us. He says through the law. What does that mean? I'm convinced that has no meaning for most people. What does it mean? I'm going to explain it to you. The moral law of God excites, elicits, and draws out of us all those sinful appetites and lusts which are in opposition to God's law. Let me explain a little better. You and I have never seen a law of God that we didn't want to do the opposite. We never saw a law of God that we wanted to conform to. As believers, it's a different matter. But before we became believers, we all wanted to go our own way and do our own thing. And not what God wanted us to do. The law of God says, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do that, thou shalt not do this, thou shalt not do... Ten commandments. We don't want to do one of them. The law of God just excites that which is in us. You go out here and put up a speed sign. And say, 35 mile an hour. Who wants to go 35 mile an hour? You go out there and you say, okay, we'll make it 60 mile an hour. Who wants to go just 60? Everybody wants to step over you. Don't make rules for me. That's human nature. Well, Paul says the law of God was just a trigger to bring out all that which is in our flesh. The desire of man's heart has been to do the very opposite. And the wages of that kind of sin and disobedience is death. But Christ has changed all that and given us a heart that wants to please God. It's not a perfect heart. We still have the flesh. But that's the direction in which it's been. So, therefore, my beloved, here's our admonition. My beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. That's our calling. Be steadfast, unyielding in spirit, immovable, be indomitable in Christ, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Hey, you're in church. You're in a sacred place. It's easy to have high and lofty and godly ideas in here. It's when you go out that door the challenges become, and then that's when the Lord says to you, Should go out that door. Be steadfast, unyielding in your faith. Your faith is going to be challenged, immovable. Be indomitable in your spirit. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Okay, we're out of church now. Let's go play. Everybody wants to play. Well, there's room for recreation. There's room for all that stuff. But the first thing on our minds, unfortunately, is not always abounding in the work of the Lord. Jesus is coming. This world's going to end. The resurrection's going to happen. Our incentive in all of this is this. Our toil is not in vain. It will happen. It will come to pass. I don't know whether I'll be dead, be resurrected, or I'll still be here. You don't know that either. But we know that our toil for Christ is not in vain. The payoff is coming. The resurrection is real. Do you believe in the resurrection? You know, I hear on Easter, I'm not mocking anything. Please don't mind. Jesus is risen. Yes, he is. But on Monday, are we living like it? Are we living like our toil is not in vain? are we living like, well, this life is all there is? Well, that's the resurrection. And that's the way it'll go down. And those are the implications. On Monday, let's live that way. That's my exhortation. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ... It's time to make a move. It's time to say this world is over with. It really is. And you don't know when Monday's going to catch up with you. You don't know, but you don't want you don't want that to happen unprepared. Be ready. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you. For the hope of the resurrection We know Lord the word hope means Expectation We live in expectation of the resurrection We also need to live Our father in expectation Of the demise of this Body and this life And not live as if This is all there is to live for To eat, drink, be merry, play Run Skip and all of those things, but to live soberly in light of the demise of this world, in light of our own demise, in light of the return of our Savior. We ask it in his name and for his sake. Amen.